What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Kempel with Label Free Podcast. Live your best life. You must live label free. I'm super pumped. I'm very excited. We have a very, very, very cool guest. He's joining us from the Dominican Republic, a little jealous because it's beautiful there. Please welcome Eric Edmeads. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's been in industries like mobile computing, computing, medical simulation, military research. I told him I'm a little scared. Augmented reality gaming and Hollywood special effects where he's worked on Avatar, Terminator, Transformers, some really cool stuff, Eric. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Can you please introduce I've yourself? I've been busy. Yeah, I, I'd say you're busy, but like you're, I, I, you're probably not bored at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, rarely bored. Uh, yeah, my, my background is, I mean, you covered some of the high points. I, I, uh, I was born in South Africa, largely grew up in Canada, but since then I've lived all over the world, Ireland, England, uh, Turks and Caicos, Dominican Republic. Uh, and these days I'm really dedicated to education. So I teach entrepreneurship and uh, marketing and business through uh, businessfreedom.com. And I, I, I teach public speaking and communication and speech writing and that sort of stuff through speakernation.com. And my, my, my core, uh, you know, my, my core mission business is a company I created called WildFit that does um, food psychology and, and uh, lifestyle revision, helping people, you know, kind of create the lifestyle they really want to create. So you like, do you sleep at all? Like, or you just go 24 seven? I, you know, I, I do sleep. I, I, I tend to, I tend to get sort of five or six hours a night and I, and, 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 and then every now and again, about once a week, I pull a good like eight, nine hour catch up sleep. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I, I find that sleep, um, for me at least, and, and I, I really do believe that most people need their seven or eight hours and, and I respect that. And, but I find that, um, when you have a really driving sense of passion or, or like mission for what's coming up the next day, then you, then you, you don't need as much sleep. And weirdly, I think that's because your body goes, hell man, tomorrow's a serious day. We'd better get some good sleep. And, uh, you know, so I, I noticed this as a kid, like, you know, my, most of the year, my mom would have to almost quite literally kick my ass out of bed to get me to go to school. But there was one day of the year, one day of the year where she would walk up to me the night before and she said, if you are out of bed before 5 a.m., I'm going to kick your ass. And that was Christmas Day. You know, she'd have to say that Christmas Eve. And the reason being is that there was such a high degree of anticipation and excitement about Christmas that we would wake up without an alarm, bright and early, nobody needing to threaten you to get you out of bed. And and so now I just I just tend to kind of feel like every day has a little Christmas potential and every day is uh, you know, there, there's something exciting going on or some, you know, I, and I guess maybe it's because I'm lucky enough that I get to work on, on things that I'm very passionate about. Uh, well, yeah, you're very, obviously very, very dynamic. And <clears throat> so I get asked that question too, because I do a, a lot of different stuff and you're right. When you are just excited about what you've got going on in your life, that you don't, you don't want to sleep that long, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're into fitness, health and fitness, obviously. And so I think that's a driving force too, that just yeah. wake up and be a better version of yourself the next day as you were the day before. And well, you know, like you said, working on some exciting projects, let's talk about your journey a little bit because it's pretty cool. You, you are very diverse, very diverse. Uh, where do you want to start? <laughs> Wherever you want. I mean, I, you know, I, I think like what I'd always ask is what, what can give your listeners the most entertainment and value? Like what, 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 what are they looking for that I might be able to help with? Okay. So it's label free, right? And my whole mission is to really encourage people of stepping out of any, any limitations or that box that society puts on them to go after 
you know, what their passions are. And so for you, you've done that. And so whatever, maybe there's a breaking point or some time in your life where you're just like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go after whatever my heart desires and whatever is in that moment. And, and, and that might be a define. do you have a defining moment like that, that you could share? Yeah. You know, I, I was actually on an interview a couple of days ago and somebody asked me something similar about like, was there a defining moment that made me do what I was doing? And, and I, I think the truth is there's many, yeah. but the one that, that occurred to me during the interview was that, um, you know, I, I've watched a lot of people. I mean, I've been alive for 50 years and I've seen a few things, I guess. And what I've seen is that some people grow up believing that their parents are responsible for their like success and their safety and their, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and then, and then of course there's going to come this point where it's no longer their parents that's responsible, but maybe it's their employer. And then their employer is responsible for their salary and their safety and their, you know, whatever. And then, and then, uh, and then if they, if they're very lucky and they have a career that lasts, then one day they're going to retire from that career, from that employer or those employers. And then it's going to be the government that's responsible for their kind of health and safety. And to a degree, I, I think we've all been trained that way. We've been, we've been kind of trained to look up to, uh, you know, somebody who's going to provide safety and security for us. And yeah, I didn't really have that. So, you know, my, my, Grandparents were very wealthy, but they, they, they disagreed strongly with my parents' desire to leave South Africa. My parents were very much opposed to the political system in South Africa at the time, and, and they wanted to get out and, and, and so on. And so we moved to Canada, and my, parents and my grandparents cut them off. So now we moved to Canada, and we basically have nothing. And so they have to, you know, as immigrants, like rebuild their lives. And initially it went really well. My, my dad was young when he was offered a professorship at a prestigious law school. And, you know, what, by the way, I think there should be a law against being a professor of anything when you're 24 years old. I, would I think that's a lot of pressure for somebody, but, you know, uh, but then, you know, uh, funny enough on that note, you know, my, my dad kind of jokes that, that um, he's now, you know, 40 years sober or what have you. But at the time he used to joke that he would be so nervous about going up and teaching in front of all these students that were frankly the same age as him and, and, you know, or, or within a few years. And he found, you know, a beer, a beer down at the grad house that, that would take the edge off. Right. <laughs> well, that led to a whole interesting childhood for me, you know, divorce and alcoholism and all this stuff. And so I, I distinctly remember going through periods of time and, you know, from the ages of six, seven, eight, nine years old, uh, becoming really clear, that my safety and survival was actually up to me. Like, like that, that's how it was. It's not that my parents weren't there. It's not that they weren't a resource, but it's that the circumstances of my life suggested that they weren't as reliable as you might want them to be in a given moment. And, um, and, and I needed to take care of things myself. And I'm kind of grateful for that because in a very real sense, there were a lot of labels people would have put on me. I mean, sure. thank God they didn't have the ADHD label yet because they would have stuck that on me for sure. Thank God they didn't have the dyslexia label well-developed at that stage because they certainly would have stuck me with that. And and I I am really aware that in today's world, a child that grew up like me, that ended up like me, that went to school like me, that disrupted classrooms like me, that was curious about things but didn't have a lot of attention for the answers, um, you know, is generally prescribed to these days. Oh, okay. And I was really lucky that I didn't go through any of that. And um, so I'm really lucky that those labels didn't exist. And, and then at the age of 15 years old, I was homeless. I was literally homeless on the streets of Edmonton, Alberta, trying to make my way with life. And again, I managed to escape the label of homelessness. I, you know, this homeless kid, it, you know, I just, I, I it where, didn't, where were your it parents didn't, at 15? sorry. Where were your parents at 15? 
Do you know what a strange time to go through? So my parents had split up and moved to opposite ends of the country. Okay. And, and uh, you know, I'm from Canada. So opposite ends of the country is a hell of a distance, right? You know, and, I've been and uh, I know. yeah, there you go. Right. Like I, it's funny. I sometimes tell my European friends that it was opposite ends of the country. And for some of them, that's a 45 minute drive. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, in my case, it was a five day drive, right. Or, or six hour flight or something. So, um, and then, you know, my dad had gone, you know, he, he uh, found sobriety and he'd really started to clean up his world. But, you know, th- the first few years of sobriety doesn't doesn't mean being ready for the world and being ready for being a parent and all that kind of stuff. And, and so he and I had a very uh, volatile, difficult relationship. He sent me off to boarding school and it was a I'm super gl- grateful for that school today, but it was also an incredibly intense school. We're, our, our winter programs weren't things like run around the school six times and do some track and field. We were, we were doing like seven, 800 mile canoe trips through Northern Canada, doing 26 and 35 mile snowshoe races uh, in minus 30 degree weather. Like we, it was like as intense as any military school, I imagine. What, what's the and, point of that? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, toughness, I suppose. I, I, you know, I, I, I feel that, frankly, some of the reasons that we have some of the difficulties we have today, particularly with something like Corona, is that we, we are the, this collection of generations right now, I don't mean Z, X, Y, all of them, everybody from the baby boomers to the babies uh, are the flimsiest, weak ass generations of many, many years. And I, matter of fact, I think we can accept some of the, we can even exempt some of the baby boomers from that. It's everybody after them. And, you know, we, we've lived the most unchallenged multi-generational life ever. And now this tiniest thing, oh, I'm offended. I, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a victimized, I'm hurt. And I think that going to that school kind of knocked that crap right out of me. Like I'm in charge here, but there came a point with my dad where I, I said I wasn't going back to the school. And he said, well, you're not welcome to live in my house. And I, 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 I wondered if it was a bluff, but I walked out. Oh, wow. I just walked out. And um, my, you know, my mom lives on the other side of the country and we weren't really in an economic position to just buy plane tickets all day long. And sure. so I, I had to figure my own life out at that stage. And I think that like, here, here's a funny twist on that. It was winter. And I always think to myself, thank God it was winter because if it was summer, Frankly, in Edmonton, you can live on the streets quite happily in the summer. You can sleep under that park bench over there and you can find a park and, you know, like it's, it's not difficult, but when it's minus 30, you have to be more creative than that. (laughs) So, so it forced me to be really entrepreneurial in my approach to survival. And, um, and I suspect that maybe one of the reasons that I've had the diverse and interesting and and rewarding life that I've had so far is because those years weren't easy. Okay, we're a quick break. Uh, support for Label Free Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best of men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. That's a big number. Thank you, gentlemen. We Us ladies appreciate it. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners. Please use code LABELFREE20 for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. So what was your um, first entrepreneur business, or your first business, I guess? Well, I first have to say, of all the interviews and all the podcasts that I've done, that is the most fascinating mid-commercial. Mid well done, Manscaped. I just wanted like extra little plug for you there. Funny, funniest, very good placement. Very, very fun. Well, that was my choice. So I'm glad you like it. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. <laughs> um, sorry. Now you're, now I lost your question. What was your question? Now your first, your first business as an entrepreneur. You know, um, my, my first businesses as a child were things like um, 
you know, selling seashells in front of my house that I'd collected at the ocean and carving little like little um, indentations in the edge where a cigarette would sit. So it's not a seashell anymore. It's an ashtray. And and, you know, uh, selling, um, you know, like cool, cool like uh, lemonade in front of my house. And of course, the minute the snow started, I had my shovels and I went out and I, I, I had a total like a sidewalk and driveway clearing business, you know, from the ages of about eight till say 12 or so. Um, and also in the fall, when the leaves started coming down, I was the guy out there clearing all the, in my, my, all my, all my neighbors knew I was coming. The minute the fall started, they knew I was coming. And, and even back then it's, it's kind of a joke to say, you know, what were your first businesses? But the truth is I really did approach them like business. Like I remember one day, um, raking up the leaves for this old guy down the, down the block from me. And I'd done his before, actually he'd resisted for a long time. And I finally got through to him and he, and he, and he let me do it. And then he came out. And the price, the way I did the pricing was I, pay, I I charged you per bag, right? You know, like per bag, that was the best way to do the volume. Yeah. And he came out and he's like, you could have fit a lot more leaves into this bag. <laughs> and he goes, it seems to me like you're trying to, you know, boost up the billings here by, um, you know, by, by light filling the bags. And I, I was like, I had a lot of shame. Like he, I didn't, I don't think I intended to do that, but I equally was not trying to stuff the bags as full as possible. So whether I intended to or not, the net effect was the same. And so I remember him saying that to me and I said, you know, no worries, I will take care of it. And so as I finished the job, I repacked all the bags. So they were like solid, like a rock. Yeah. And he came out and he was so impressed and he, he paid me more than the per bag rate. And he booked me, he, he, he like, that was it. I was his guy from then on. Yeah. And it taught me something. And, and what it taught me was um, over deliver. Yeah, like manage expectations and over deliver and, 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 and over delivery might be more expensive and it might take more effort and it might take more work and more energy, but in the long haul, it builds a reputation and it builds a, um, a solidity. And, and, you know, for anybody who knows our companies and knows our brands, they you'll know everything we do is based on that lesson that I got at nine years old, raking people's leaves. So th those were my first sort of businesses. I love it. I have kind of a similar story, but not as, not as cool. Yours is cooler. I think. <laughs> what do you do? What are you doing these days? Well, you know, I, I, my, my uh, last major business sort of um, journey was I bought a movie special effects company in Northern California. It used to be part of Lucasfilm and uh, it did practical special effects and 3d camera engineering and, and, and other cool things. And I bought that company um, and entered a really fascinating phase of my life. We were working on major movies and doing really cool practical special effects for the movies. Like, you know, just the ultimate boy business. We were building shit and blowing it up. Like, <laughs> just, and being paid to do it, right? It was my childhood only being paid to do it. Yeah. And, um, and, and so that was really fascinating, but it also taught me something about myself. And because we started a number of other businesses at the time, we started a military research and development company that took Hollywood special effects ideas and solved it problems for the intelligence services and military and really cool projects. Like yeah. long before drones were cool, we were building um, bird-like drones, drones that looked exactly like eagles so that they could fly them around somewhere, I suppose Afghanistan and observe people without them knowing they were being observed. And we did all kinds of really cool stuff like that. But in the meantime, I found myself sitting at a desk dealing with lawyers and dealing with accountants and, and dealing with all this stuff. And I was like, wow, I am done with this phase of my life. I'd already done it in my first business. I started my own mobile computing company and here I was again, trapped behind a door. And, and so when I finally sort of exited out of all those businesses in a variety of ways, um, I didn't know what was next with my life, but I did get a really, just in that time, I got a really bizarre phone call and 
um, it was from a, from, from a guy um, that worked for Tony Robbins. And, um, and he said like, you know, we've got a bit of a booking problem. Could you, can you speak at one of Tony's events in 11 days in Fiji? And I, um, I, I thought it was a practical joke because I wasn't a speaker. I, 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 I hadn't been on a stage for three years. So I really kind of thought it was a practical joke, except that the speaker that they needed to replace was a friend of mine and he died. And so it's not, <coughs> I see excuse me, it's not really the best day for a practical joke. Right. Sure. And then it turned out not to be. And the next thing you know, I go out to do this event and Tony takes me under his wing and he just, he mentors me and, and books me for a year. And, wow. and that's when I, I, I found myself full circle back with one of my earliest passions. And that was teaching. I, I wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid, but when I found out like, you know, in grade 11 or so you start looking at the careers and you start, you know, okay, we didn't have Google, but you somehow do the research on what average salaries look like. Now kids in grade 11 are going, how much does a geologist make? You know, they, they can get all that stat. Well, we had to figure it out just by asking. And I found out to my shock that I really, I remember as a kid thinking, this is all we pay teachers. And that immediately explained to me why the vast majority of my teachers had no personality and weren't frankly, particularly good teachers. Like yeah. it, 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 I, I had, I was lucky. I had a, a more than a handful of the most compelling teachers ever. I was very lucky. And they are the ones that inspired me to want to, to teach. But I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I looked at that and I thought, it doesn't seem like society values this skill very much. And I went a different way. And here I was on stage in front of thousands of people going, uh, wow, I'm a teacher now. Yeah. And that really um, lit me on fire. And so I, 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 that point started teaching professionally all over the place. I, I started doing keynote speaking and training and mostly about business and entrepreneurship and that sort of stuff, mostly in Europe. And then it just became more popular. And, and then my me uh -oh. often would share that I was afraid of public speaking in, in the past. And they're like, yeah, but you don't seem afraid of it now. I'm not. And they go, yeah, but not only you're not afraid of it, you're like good at it. Like, how did you do that? And so then they started asking me to teach that. So I started teaching um, public speaking as part of our business programs and, 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 you know, it just kind of built from there. And of course, then uh, my health and nutrition stuff came out of that because people were asking like, how can you be on stage teaching for 10, 12 hours a day, five days in a row and have all this energy all the time. And, and so I started um, a hobby and my hobby was writing and teaching about the things that I'd learned about nutrition. And then one thing led to another and that business just took, took off and took over. And it's by far our, uh, it's by far our most, um, I don't know, it's our fastest, biggest and fastest growing brand of, of all of them. Very cool. Very, oh my gosh. I, you're, you're awesome. Love the energy, man. I can feel yeah. it. I can feel the energy. Uh, you have a couple of questions here. I'm going to pick one before we sure. wrap things up. What are, <clears throat> what are the most important first step for someone try starting their first business? Um, there's a lot in there. Um, I, I think that one, one thing to recognize, I remember seeing Muhammad Ali do this thing many years ago. Muhammad Ali says like, you know, your life, let's imagine this is your life. And then how much of you have you lived? Yeah. And then how much are you going to sleep about a third again? Yeah. And then of that, how much of that are you going to work about half? And then of that, how much of that are you going to spend at the doctor's office, filling out tax returns, sitting in traffic? Like there's, you don't have a lot of time left. Right. And one, while I think the message he was saying is milk every moment, the message I got from that is, holy crap, you better like your job, <laughs> right? Like your job is, you know, if you really think about it, if half of your remaining life, not including what you sleep is going to be professional, if, if close to half of that is, and remember that the other half is going to be full of all kinds of stuff you don't want to be doing, like doctor's offices, tax returns, and what the, the, that chunk, that professional chunk, if you can nail that, that's like, that's like doubling your life. 
Yeah, and sure. so I think one of the first things for anybody to do when they're wanting to start a business is say, do I love this? Do I really love this? And then, and this is the tricky part, is to be really clear about what they don't love so that when they build the business, they build it with a path to make sure that they are not doing the jobs in the business that they hate. And, and that, I, I see too many people do that. They start a business, they go, oh, I, you know, I love being a chiropractor and they start this. But the next thing you know, they're working 80 hour weeks because they have to do their own administration and their own ordering and negotiate their own leases and customer service and manage their internet marketing. And no, that's not a business, that's a job. A business is something that operates for you. And, and so now you find, and I, I remember meeting this chiropractor in Vegas that really made this clear to me. I got to his office and I, we just start, started talking about business and he had the coolest setup. You go in for your meeting. While you were waiting for your adjustment, you would go in for a short massage on the area. Like, so if you're having a neck and shoulders, you'd go in for a quick massage in there. Then you would come out and sit in a treatment room and he had three of these treatment rooms and he would walk in and do the treatments with you. And you would only spend about 15 minutes with him where the average chiropractor is spending say 45 minutes with you. And he's saying, but you see, the thing is, is that the real value that I give to people is in the 15 minutes of adjustments. I don't need to be doing all the other stuff. That's why I hired this massage technician. She costs a fraction of what I do per hour she provides a really great service and none of my clients ever leave. And yet he can see three times as many clients and equally he doesn't do his own marketing. He doesn't negotiate his own leases. It's a, it's, it's, he's, he's created a business that supports him doing what he loves. And I think anybody thinking of starting a business should, should have that in mind before they begin. Oh my gosh. I love it. That was some really good wisdom there for the audience. Um, where can people find you? What, what links can they go to? They want to reach out to you. They want to look into your fitness company or, follow you as a speaker and get some motivation, get some of your energy. <laughs> sure. Well, the easiest way to reach me is I, I, I manage my own Instagram account. People can come find me at Eric Edmeads. I, I do my best to answer the questions I get. I Once a week, I really manage. I do manage to get to most of them. Um, if you have some specific like things, like if somebody wants to learn and become comfortable with public speaking or creating digital programs, then go to speakernation.com. If you are in a business or thinking of starting a business and you want to learn how to build a business that will let your life become better as your business becomes bigger, because that's not what happens for most business owners. They, they, the only way that they survive is by working harder than they ever did before. And that, that is very fixable. So anybody interested in entrepreneurship or marketing, businessfreedom.com. And the key to everything, I, I don't really, the key to being a great spiritual person, the key to have great meditation, the key to happiness, the key to success in business, the key to being a great parent, I don't care what it is, is being healthy. And, and, and these days we have a food industry that is not on our side. And so anybody who would like to divorce the food industry and kind of develop a new lifestyle and kind of figure out their own, what we call food freedom, then go to getwildfit.com. I love it. I'm all about the health and fitness. Uh, totally, I'm all about it. Um, <clears throat> that was awesome. I will put all those links in the description of the episode. You've dropped a lot of wisdom. Is there any last piece of advice that you'd like to leave with the audience before we say goodbye? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say this, that uh, um, there are some things that nobody will ever care about as much as you do. And yet we often hand the responsibility for those things to other people. Ooh. Nobody will ever care about your health as much as you do, especially once you've lost it. And yet we hand the care and control of our health over to doctors and pharmacists and drug companies and food companies. And, and, and frankly, we should all be doing everything we can to learn. And I'll, and I'll give you a clue about this. If you got yourself an exotic pet, you would not go to PubMed and Harvard University looking for research papers. You would go to the Nature Channel. You would go to National Geographic. You would go to the Discover Channel and you would say, 
I need to find a special on how this animal lives. And you would watch the way that animal lives and now you'd know how to feed it. And that's the way you should be doing food science research because food science is broken, bought and paid for. Now, on top of that, money. Nobody will ever care about your money as much as you will. And yet most people acquiesce their money, the responsibility for the money to a bank or a financial planner or what have you. Really, it's absolutely worth learning about money and learning what it's, how it works and what it's about. And, 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 and certainly these days, taking a look at decentralized currencies like cryptocurrencies and stuff, it's the, ultimate, you know, it's the ultimate sort of form of personal democracy. And then lastly, nobody will ever care about your kids as much as you do. And yet we acquiesce the responsibility of our kids to our teachers and daycare people and what have you. And all I'm going to say is this, um, you're not here to control them or tell them who to be or what have you. You're, you're here to be there for them and to just love them unconditionally. And, 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 and my, my, my big, I think if you can cultivate one thing with your children, it's this. Am I breaking up right at the important juicy part? Yeah, Is that what's did, going yeah, on? Yeah, you did. Just, it, like, like just the last little part that you, you just said. With, with regard to parenting, I think if, if there's one thing that I suggest every parent think about is how to cultivate a relationship where the children feel safe to ask you anything. Mm, wow, Eric, that was some really good stuff. You brought up something that, I mean, I'd love to have you back and talk about the cryptocurrency because I have not discussed that yet and I don't know much about it, but um, thank you very, very much for being a guest. You are awesome. And gosh, you are very dynamic. Holy cow. I'm like, woo! How, how many books are you going to write in your lifetime? You got to be writing, you got to start writing some books like on all the different types of industries you've been in. Is that coming next? Yeah, for certain. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm hip deep into the, the one, like I have several books I'm writing, but this, there's one right now that is the one that's my life's work. And I'm, I'm enjoying it with passion that I can't even communicate. I'm really excited about it. Very, very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being a guest. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Kempel with Label Free Podcasts. To live your best life, you must live label free. Please don't forget to su subscribe, like, comment, follow, share, all that good stuff. And I'll be back soon with more dynamic guests.